Well, good morning again. As I said, my name is Paul. I have the privilege of serving as one of the elders here. To be honest with you, as of Wednesday, actually as of Thursday at 1245, this was not the sermon you were going to hear this morning. I remember walking in at 1 p.m. to Gene and saying, hey, Gene, you got to scratch everything. We're going to start again. But as God's word says, man plans his way, but the Lord directs his step. So Cotton and Rebecca had planned to meet their daughter sometime in the middle of September, but the Lord had planned for them to meet her on Friday. So I'm happy to report that that baby Emery was born on Friday afternoon. Both, Both mom and baby are doing well, hoping to go home today. And so here we are. Returning to our occasional series in Colossians. Our aim in this series is to see that Christ is above all. So far we've seen that the the gospel of Jesus is at the, the heart of our assurance. And that Jesus radically changes how we pray and pursue growth. That's what we saw in the first 14 verses of Colossians. But this morning we come to Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 23. So if you have a Bible, please open there with me. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. If you don't have a Bible, I invite you to use one of those pew Bibles in the pew in front of you. You can find Colossians 1 on 983, page 983. Colossians 1, verses 15 through 23. Our hope, the preeminent Christ. I'm going to read it and then lead us in a prayer for God's help. Colossians 1, starting in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. Father, this morning we gather and we cry out for your help. Father, we ask that you would help us to see Jesus so that our hope may remain steady in him. Lord, help me to to be clear 
as I proclaim the glories of Jesus Christ. But Lord, more than that, we pray that your word would speak loudly to each of our hearts this morning. That your spirit would give understanding of some of the most glorious verses we have. And we pray that we would see Christ as preeminent in all things. In his name we pray. Amen. I'm pleased to say that I like Jesus Christ. I would go as far as to say I love him. He was a pretty brilliant man when he was alive and still remains an amazing spiritual symbol of simple stuff like goodness and loving thy neighbor, doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. Those aren't my words. Those are the words of Andrew Garfield, an actor who is well known for his portrayal of Spider-Man. Those words, I think, are not true. So just to be clear, what's, what's the problem, though, with, with this view of Jesus? Well, quite plainly, this is not a Jesus we can turn to in trouble. If Jesus is merely an amazing spiritual symbol, a brilliant teacher, or as the Colossians were dealing with, one of just many spiritual powers, not unique, then when trouble comes, he is not a sufficient Jesus. If this is the Jesus that that we proclaim, when financial trouble comes, rather than turning to Jesus, we'll look to other things like the, the patron saint of real estate so that we can sell our houses and get out of trouble. If this is the Jesus that we proclaim when when tragedy strikes, rather than resting in Jesus' good providence, we'll look to other spiritual powers who might be able to lend a hand. If this is the Jesus that we proclaim when our pursuit of holiness stalls, we'll we'll kick it into high gear with just some good old-fashioned asceticism. And this is what was happening in the church of Colossae. See, what was happening is they were being pressured to make Jesus one of many spiritual powers. There is Jesus, and then there are these others. But the Apostle Paul wants the Colossians to know that Jesus is unique. He is preeminent over all, and therefore they can hope in him. That's our main idea this morning. Our our one-sentence summary, I think, of this text is this. Do not shift from your hope in the preeminent Lord of all. Do not shift from your hope in the preeminent Lord of all. Paul will use either a well-known hymn in the the early church, or he might even write his own. But he's using this this hymn in verses 15 through 20 to teach us about who Jesus is. That Jesus is preeminent. And by preeminent, we mean that he is unique. He is given authority and far surpasses in worth all other things. That he is the supreme Lord of all. I wonder if you noticed the the repetition of all things or everything in our text this morning. Eight times in just eight verses, our, our passage declares that Jesus is creator of all things the firstborn of all creation, that he is before all things, that all things hold together in him. Again and again, we see Jesus is Lord of all. 
Nothing is excluded. He far surpasses all others. Friends, he is not just a spiritual symbol, but he is God in flesh. King of creation and new creation. Therefore, do not shift from your hope in the preeminent Lord of all. Do not shift from your hope in the preeminent Lord of all. How will the Apostle Paul make this argument? Well, he cites or writes his own hymn here in verses 15 through 20, and then he applies it to the Colossians in verses 21 to 23. And I think what we see is is really within these eight verses, 11 reasons for Jesus' preeminence. 11 reasons for Jesus' preeminence. And rather than giving you all 11 up front, we'll make our way through them and then conclude where Paul does with the encouragement to keep hoping in Jesus. What we have before us, brothers and sisters, is a weighty but wonderful task. We get to unpack one of the, the high points of all of the Bible. May God help us see Jesus. So this is our first reason of the preeminence of Jesus. Jesus is the unique revelation of God. So 11 reasons for the preeminence of Jesus. Reason number one, Jesus is the unique revelation of God. Look down at verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. The Apostle Paul pulls no punches. Having just reminded them that the Father delivered them from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved Son, Paul seemingly interrupts his flow abruptly with this hymn that honors this beloved Son. That's who the He is there at the beginning of verse 15. It is Jesus. It is the beloved Son who redeems, who forgives our sins. He is the image of the invisible Throughout the Bible, we are told that God is invisible. In 1 Timothy 1.17, we read that God is immortal and invisible. We cannot see God. In fact, John 1.18 tells us no one has ever seen God. He is spirit. But Jesus makes God known. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says he is the image of God. Repeating what Paul says here in verse 15. That he reveals God to us. So just as a picture reveals something about who we are, like the, the color of our hair or the color of our eyes, or for my case, how big our nose is, it reveals us in, in some small way. We, we come to know God as we come to know Jesus. Yes, the man, Jesus of Nazareth, born of Mary, who walked this earth for 30-something years, who sat and ate with many, many people, he is the image of the invisible God. God the Son took on flesh and now reveals God the Father to us. John 1.18 teaches us this, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He, that is the Word made flesh, makes Him known. Jesus makes God known in a unique way, like no other You know, at creation, man was uniquely created in the image of God, right? Nothing else that was created in those six days was created in the image of God. 
But friends, while mankind was made in the image of the invisible God, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. There is something unique about what Jesus reveals to us about who God is. Hebrews 1.3 will tell us that it's, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. When you look upon Jesus, you see God. He is the exact imprint of the Father because he is God in flesh. An image of us might be edited, right? In the olden days, it might have included red eyes. I think we've gotten rid of those. It still might be distorted in some way, but with Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. There are no distortions in Jesus. When you look upon him, you see the Father. Jesus is able to do this uniquely because he is part of the triune God. He is God the Son, the one who existed before all, yet he has come to earth taking on flesh to make God known to us. Friends, Jesus is not just an astonishing spiritual symbol. He is the unique revelation of God. If you want to know what God is like, you must look to Jesus I love being able to go outside and enjoy creation. That reveals a part of what God is like, a part of his glory. But friends, there is only one way to know who God is in full, and that is through Jesus, his son. So get to know Jesus. When you read your Bibles, don't do it just to check it off the list. Read your Bible so that you can come to see Jesus more clearly. When you come and and listen on Sunday mornings, don't get distracted throughout the service. No, you are coming face to face as you hear the word of God with Jesus Christ, the one who uniquely reveals God to us. Friends, Jesus is preeminent over all because he uniquely reveals God to us. But that's just the first half of one verse. It's just reason one of 11. We have many more to get to. Jesus is not just preeminent because he uniquely reveals God. Jesus is preeminent because Jesus is supreme over all creation. In other words, Jesus is the king of all creation. We see this in the second half of verse 15. We read, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. This language of firstborn of all creation has been greatly misinterpreted throughout the the history of the church. One early church leader, Arius, ended up becoming a heretic because he misinterpreted, suggesting that this passage could mean that Jesus is a, a created being. And there are still many others who teach this today, those who who may even knock on your door this week, Jehovah Witnesses or Mormons, will try to tell you that. From verse 15, Jesus is created first. That's why we must read this in its context. Paul will go on to explain in verse 16 that Jesus is creator, not creature. But we also have to read it in context of the entire scripture. That's why we read Psalm 89 this morning. Because far from attributing Jesus as a created being, the the Apostle Paul and this hymn are attributing to Jesus his unique position of supremacy. Remember what we read in Psalm 89, verse 27. 
And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Here, God states about his messianic savior king that he will be made the firstborn. Not that he will make him born first, but that he will give him preeminence. The preeminence that was attributed to the firstborn son in that culture. In the culture of the Bible, the the firstborn son was given certain rights and authority. You can learn about this in Genesis 49 where we see Jacob's blessing to Reuben. And he blesses him as one who has preeminence, though he doesn't get to claim it because of his sin. Psalm 89 tells us that when God calls the Messiah the firstborn, he is calling him the highest of the kings of earth. It's not saying Jesus was created or made, but it's declaring his unique position and authority over all in creation. He stands supreme. Nothing in creation is excluded from the reign of Jesus as king. Just as he uniquely reveals God, Jesus stands uniquely related to creation as its king. Now the creation may not recognize Jesus is king. We struggle in our day-to-day lives to submit to Jesus as king. But that does not make it untrue. Jesus is uniquely king of all creation. And this is what the church has always professed. We'll read it in a little bit at the end of our sermon, the Nicene Creed. But in the Nicene Creed, responding to Arius, they wrote, the church professed, Jesus is God of God, light of light, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. Friends, Jesus is preeminent over all because he uniquely reveals God and because he is king of all creation. But that's not all. We move to our third reason. Jesus is preeminent over all because he is the one by whom all creation was made. Jesus is the agent of the creation of all. Jesus is the agent of all of creation. In fact, this is Paul's argument that Jesus is king over all of creation because he was the agent of creation. He was the one by and through whom all things were created. All of creation, we read in verse 16, was made by, through, and for Jesus. Look down at verse 16. The apostle will go at great length to demonstrate that all things were created by Jesus. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him. He qualifies this all things with three sets of qualifiers. Things in heaven and on earth. That is the the whole created order. Both physical and spiritual. Things below and things above. Not only that, we see that Jesus has created things visible and invisible. Things we can see and things we cannot see. Everything you see in this universe was created by Jesus. Through him. But also everything you don't see. The planets that are far beyond our reach. The stars and the galaxy. The little atoms that make up our bodies. All is created through Jesus. And this includes all things in the spiritual realm. Which I think is the reference then to our third set of qualifiers. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. 
When Paul uses this language throughout his other letters, he's often speaking of the the spiritual principalities and powers that are at work in our world. We see that even just a little later on in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, where we read, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. He's talking about spiritual, the cosmic powers. The cosmic powers that... Paul in Ephesians 6.12 tells us we're wrestling against. Not against flesh and blood, he says, but against the rulers, the authorities, and the cosmic powers of this present darkness. The apostle is directly addressing the heresy that's going around Colossae. He's saying, do not fall prey. There are no angels, no cosmic powers that are higher than Jesus. He is king of all because he has made all. This is what we read in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Once again, we see the repetition of all things, of what we read in Colossians chapter 1. We see without Him was not anything made that was made. Or positively, as Colossians will tell us, all things were made by Jesus, the Word made flesh. Friends, far from being a created being, Jesus is the creator of every being. And this is particularly encouraging when we consider, brothers and sisters, that the one who made all has made God known by taking on flesh. Andrew Peterson Songwriter writes it this way, But the baby in her womb, he was the maker of the moon. The baby in her womb was the maker of the moon. Father, we we see that the, the, the Father has created all things through Jesus, and that he has now come to us. And he has done so because all things were created not just through him, but for him. And this is the fourth reason of Jesus' preeminence. Jesus is the reason for the creation of all. Jesus is the reason for the creation of all. While there's just two words here at the end of verse 16, as part of Paul's larger argument of Jesus' preeminence in all of creation, we find an essential truth that's worth highlighting here. Just look at the end of verse 16. All things were created through him and for him. Through him and for him. See, not only was Jesus the agent of creation, but he was the very reason creation was made. The planets, the stars, the sun and the moon, the plants and the trees, the animals and the seas, the sand and the rocks were all created for the glory of Jesus Christ. And yes, that means you and I were created for Jesus. You were created so that Jesus might be glorified. Jesus is therefore then supremely beautiful, worthy of all worship and praise for all things were created for him. 
As one author will write, God's purpose in creation was not merely to display his power and sovereignty, but to create a cosmos for the praise and the glory of his Son. All things were created for the praise and the glory of the Son. He created the cosmos for Jesus. Jesus, then, is not just an appendix at the end of our day. He's not just something we add on when we feel like it. Friends, the whole cosmos was created for him. He is at the very center of how we ought to live and do and worship. You were custom designed for the praise of Jesus. Yet we live our lives of trying to find something other than Jesus to make us happy. It's like taking a couch custom designed for a 1,200 square foot living room and putting it in a 300 square foot tiny home. It doesn't work. It's unsatisfying. That's why no created thing can satisfy our hearts because all things are created for one purpose, the praise and the glory of Jesus. He is the very reason for creation. And therefore, he is preeminent over all of creation. It was by him and through him and for him that all things were created. So here we are making our way through the first two verses. And we've seen four reasons for Jesus' preeminence. He uniquely reveals God. He is king over all creation. He is the agent of creation. And he is the reason for creation. But now we come to our fifth reason. And Sophia, I'm going to need you to work the slides for me. Jesus existed before all of creation, number five. Jesus existed before all of creation. In many ways, the the next two reasons here in verse 17 serve as a conclusion to the first part of the hymn. Jesus' supremacy over creation. So we'll be more brief here than we've been previously. So just so you know, this word before... Here in verse 17, I think is, is demonstrating that, that Jesus existed pre-before the creation. That he's making a, a temporal reference. That as we read in John 1.1, he is the beginning. In the beginning was the word. Or in Revelation 1.8 where we read that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus is not constrained by time. He has existed before all of creation. Again and again, we're taught that Jesus was not created, but he existed before all things because he is God. Jesus is preeminent because he was created before anything, not because he he was before everything was created. But Paul continues, Jesus not only existed before all creation, but now Jesus sustains all of creation. Look at verse 17. And in him all things hold together. All things are held together by Christ. He sustains the universe by the word of his power. Jesus is sustainer. He is the very reason the planets remain in orbit. The sun continues to shine or gravity continues to work. From the largest aspects of our universe to the smallest atom in our body, Jesus Christ is holding it all together. What has been brought into being by Jesus is now being maintained by Him today. 
the Heidelberg Catechism, which was a catechism written in the 16th century in Germany, explains the, that, that we have a certain advantage by knowing Jesus is creator and sustainer. Listen to how they describe this advantage. We can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from His love, for all creatures are so completely in His hand that without His will, they cannot so much as move. We can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, So SBC, let me encourage you this morning, brothers and sisters, you are so firmly in the hand of Jesus, the God-man. And you are so firmly in his hand, the the God-man who took on flesh to die for you, that you cannot even move apart from the will of the Father. Which means that not one cancer cell that affects your body can move apart from his will. That not one decision can shake you out of his hand. Heed the encouragement of this catechism. Some of you who have been dealing with adversity for a long time, heed the warning or the encouragement. Be patient. Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. And for those of you who feel like you're prospering, you're filled with joy, be thankful because God has brought that about. He is wielding and using the universe for his own. For his own glory and by his own power. We serve a God who is omnipotent, able to do all things. And all of this, we can trust Jesus because he's holding all things together. Jesus is sustainer and Lord of all creation, but that's only actually one aspect of what we see in this hymn. We also see that Jesus is the head and Lord of redemption. So look at verse 18, and our seventh reason, Jesus is the head of the church. He is the head of the body, the church. See, Jesus is Lord not over all created people, but over his newly created people. The body is a common illustration of the church in uh, Pauline letters. We see it in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 and Ephesians 1. The church is referred to as body, and so Jesus, as head of the body, is the one who governs and directs the body. Like your mind sends signals to your arm so that it can point and do this. Jesus governs and directs the body. So that this church is not Paul's church, or Kelton's church, or Elliot's, or Moses' church. It is Jesus' church. He is our head. He is the one who leads and directs his people. So we ultimately do not submit to our preferences, but to the directives of our Savior. And we do so joyfully because he is our good shepherd who leads us. He guides us, directs and protects us. But there's something else about this illustration that I think is helpful. A body can't go anywhere without its head. And so, as our head, the preeminent Jesus will continue to dwell with his new people. He has promised that he will never leave nor forsake us. He is our head, the head of the body, the church. And Jesus is head 
because he is the beginning. He is the founder of new creation. Our eighth reason for the preeminence of Jesus. Jesus is the founder of new creation. Look at the second half of verse 18. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. By beginning here, I think we are seeing that Jesus is is the start of, that, that there's something about Jesus that began this new creation. Well, I think it's qualified then. He is the firstborn from the dead. It is Jesus' resurrection that begins his new people, this new reality, this new eschatological age, the age of his church. And ultimately, it is because Jesus' resurrection assures us of our resurrection if we trust in him. This is what we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 to 23. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Jesus' resurrection from the dead started something. His tomb became the womb of new creation. He is the beginning of this redemption age, this new reality that is not yet fulfilled, but already here. And it is due to his death and resurrection. Jesus is supreme over all those who have been given new life because he is the beginning of their life. He is the one through whom they have gone from being dead in their trespasses to alive in Jesus. Just as he created and sustains creation, Jesus is now creator and sustainer of new creation, his church. And Paul tells us that this is so he might be preeminent in all things. Right, The very reason Jesus has risen from the dead in part, is so that he might be preeminent. That he might surpass all. Jesus isn't just preeminent over creation. He is preeminent over all things. All of the cosmos has fallen under the preeminent rule and reign of Jesus. Friends, which means Jesus is preeminent in every area of your life. His authority reaches to how you use the things of creation. Your body, your home, your resources, your children, your time. And his authority reaches to new creation, to how we use this church, in our discipleship, in our evangelism, in our worship services. Jesus is preeminent in everything. So, what are you not submitting to him? What area of your life are you trying to keep for yourself? Nothing falls out of the purview of his preeminence. Jesus is the preeminent Lord of all, but Paul's not done. How do we know that Jesus is Lord of all and this Lord of the the new creation? Well, let's consider our ninth reason for the preeminence of Jesus. 
Jesus is fully God. Jesus is fully God. Look down at verse 19 with me. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The idea is that the very nature of God in full, his fuel attributes and divine power are permanently abiding in Jesus. Jesus is fully God. He has always been fully God. Even when he came as the the baby boy in the manger, he was as much God as when he was in Genesis 1 creating the entire universe. We can once again remind ourselves of that Andrew Peterson quote. The baby in her womb was the maker of the moon. Jesus was both 100% man and 100% God. He did not empty himself of his divinity as he walked on earth. He became like us. He took on flesh, but the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. Verse 9 of Colossians chapter 2 will teach the same thing. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. This is what the Bible teaches. From beginning to end, Jesus is presented as one who is fully God, who then took on flesh becoming fully God and fully man, even today. He is, as we can confess, God of God, light of light, being of one substance with the Father. He is the only man in whom the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. And so therefore he is preeminent over all. Because he is fully God. But as the God-man, Jesus came to die on the cross that we might be reconciled to the Father. And this leads us then to our tenth reason for the preeminence of Jesus. Jesus is the agent of reconciliation. Jesus is the agent of reconciliation. Jesus is preeminent over all because through him comes reconciliation for all things. Look at verse 20. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That's what reconciliation is. It is to bring into order, to make peace. And this act of reconciliation that Jesus does demands a a need for, for reconciliation. You see, the world is opposed to God. Though we were created for Jesus, as we have seen, we want nothing to do with Him. This began with Adam and Eve in the garden of Genesis 3 and continues now to us. Each and every person that has ever lived has been born in opposition to God with a a sinful nature opposed to God and has chosen to reject Him. Rather than desiring our creator, we worship creation. Rather than pursuing his glory, we pursue our own. Rather than going after God's purposes and obeying him, we do what we want to do. And because God is holy, he cannot dwell with sin. He is too good. 
He is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. And so the Bible calls us enemies of God. Paul will make this clear in verse 21. We are in direct opposition to Him. As we saw in verse 13, we exist in the domain of darkness. But the good news of the gospel is that even from before time began, God had a plan of reconciling all things, and the one who brings that reconciliation is Jesus. And how does Jesus do that? Well, through the blood of his cross. Our sin demands justice. A holy God cannot let sin go unpunished. Just as we would say a good judge could not, could not let sin or lawbreaking go unpunished, God cannot be just if he does not punish sin. But Jesus punishes, God punishes sin in Jesus, pouring out his wrath on him. He took upon himself the judgment of God. On the cross, Jesus was forsaken so that any who believe in him might be made at peace. 1 Timothy 2.5 says there is just one mediator. That is the man, Christ Jesus. Paul is saying peace has been made only through the blood of Jesus. Paul is making it clear that though some may tell you that, that there are other mediators that can help you find reconciliation, it is only through Jesus that one can be reconciled. Now is Paul saying that because Jesus died, every person is reconciled all automatically? No, I don't think that's what he's saying. I think the reconciliation that, that he's talking about here in verse 20 is Jesus bringing a, a true and final peaceful order to the universe. He's not proclaiming all will be saved or that the fallen angels will be saved. No, what Paul is saying is what went awry in Genesis 3 will be brought to order in Revelation 21. What went awry in Genesis 3 is, is bringing brought, being brought back into order. So all things here refers to both earthly things and spiritual things. Like an accountant reconciles the books of a business at the end of a financial year, bringing all the financials into order, we see that at the end of time, Jesus will reconcile all things in heaven and on earth because of his work on the cross. Some things will be reconciled willingly as we receive Jesus to be Lord. And other things will be reconciled unwillingly through everlasting judgment. But order will be brought in heaven and on earth, and that reconciliation can only come through the blood of Jesus poured out on the cross. And so Jesus is preeminent over all. Well, as we conclude what, what is commonly known as, as the hymn, 15 through 20, we've seen 10 glorious reasons for the preeminence of Jesus. But there's one final reason, and Paul really brings home his argument here as he gets personal with the Colossians. He says, Jesus is preeminent because he makes you new. And so this is our 11th and final reason for the preeminence of Jesus. Jesus makes you new. Look at verse 21. And you. So you hear it? He turns personal. He's been glorifying Christ. And now he turns and says, And you, Colossians, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death 
in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Paul's recounting a description of what the Colossians were like. And his description is a description of each of us. Before Christ, we were hostile strangers to God. Enemies working against him with our evil deeds. And so Christian, brother and sister, if you are here and you've been made new, don't forget that apart from God, this is who you are. Given into sin and under its domain. But maybe this is where you are today. You are separated from God because of your sin. You don't have to remain there. That's what we see in in verse 21. Paul uses the past tense. The Colossians didn't remain there. They were once like this, but they have been reconciled. They who were separated have been brought near to God through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And friends, God the Son came to earth taking on flesh to live the life we couldn't live, but to die in our place so that we could be made new. The preeminent Lord of all that we've seen in verses 15 through 20 came to earth to die so that you could be made new. It is, as we sung, amazing love that our God would die for us Not only to forgive us, but as we read, in order that we might be made holy and blameless and above reproach. Those who were alienated, hostile, and doing evil deeds can now be made holy and blameless and above reproach in the eyes of our Father. What seemed unfathomable to us is now made reality through Jesus Christ. And this is a reason for Jesus' preeminence. So Paul is saying what was true about Jesus is, is true, but you have known that personally as he made you new. Friends, remember that Jesus is preeminent. He is the one who has made you new. He, in his body of flesh, And if you're here and you're not a Christian, let me tell you, it is not too late. The creator and sustainer of this world came to earth to die on the cross and rise again so that you might be made new. Turn to him. Trust in him. Turn from your sin and and rest in Christ. You cannot make yourself holy and blameless and above reproach. Apart from Jesus, you will be brought into subjection by his wrath But Jesus bore that judgment so that if you believe, you can be saved. Friends, we will either be reconciled with God through everlasting judgment, or we will be reconciled with God through faith in his preeminent Lord. Jesus makes you new. So there it is. Eleven reasons for the preeminence of Jesus. Let me recount them for you once more. Jesus is preeminent because he is the unique revelation of God. Because he is king and supreme over all of creation. Because he is the agent in the creation of all. Because he is the reason for all of creation. 
Because he existed before all of creation. Because Jesus now sustains all of creation. Because he is the head of the church. Because he is the founder of new creation. Because he is fully God. And because he is the agent of reconciliation. And finally, because he makes you new. Friends, the supremacy of Jesus is on display. Don't miss it. He is the supreme Lord of all things. Therefore, hope in him. The Apostle Paul urges the Colossians not to turn from their hope in the preeminent Lord of all in verse 23. Look there with me. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Paul writes this verse as as conditional. He's saying that, that these Colossians will be presented blameless if indeed they continue in the faith, not shifting from the hope which is being proclaimed. And Paul's purpose then becomes clear. This is what he's warning and exhorting the Colossians Christians and us today to trust him, to not turn from our hope. Friends, if we are to turn, if we turn from our hope and, and say Jesus is just one of many, we forsake any kind of hope. No, we have been reminded that Jesus is supreme. And the supremacy of Jesus that we have seen teaches us that he is sufficient in our salvation. Because he is supreme, nothing can undo what what he has put into order. One author said it this way, possessing preeminent authority, Christ must be a perfect savior. In other words, his sufficient adequacy depends on his supreme authority. He is sufficient because he is supreme. If Jesus is not the preeminent Lord of all, there is no hope. But Jesus is the preeminent Lord of all. But when we forsake that hope, when we say and make Jesus something other than the preeminent Lord of all, our hope becomes like a child who has just learned to walk, very shaky, unstable, not steadfast. So friends, hear the warning of Paul. Do not shift from the hope of the gospel. Do not shift from your hope in Jesus Christ. Remain steadfast and stable. Let me give you three encouragements in ways and areas where you can remain steadfast because of Jesus' supremacy. Because Jesus is supreme, he is sufficient in our sanctification. Because Jesus is supreme, he is sufficient in our sanctification. That's what we see here in in verses 21 and 22. It is Jesus who will present these Colossian Christians as holy and blameless and above reproach. Because he is the preeminent Lord of all, brothers and sisters, he is working within you a great power to change you. He is sufficient for your sanctification. You don't have to work your way to heaven. Jesus is sufficient. He who begun a good work in you, Paul will tell us, will bring it to completion. This isn't to minimize the work that we ought to do to pursue and and grow and 
love, but Jesus is sufficient. There's nothing else. There's, there's no other power who can give you greater power. There's, there's no angel who can intercede on, on your behalf more than what Jesus is doing right now. Jesus is sufficient in our sanctification. Secondly, Jesus is sufficient to sustain his church. Jesus is sufficient to sustain his church. We may be tempted to think that if we do this or that as a body, we can, we can make our church grow. But friends, take comfort. The one who is the head of the body is sufficient to ensure his body will grow. And as head, he has laid out for us how we ought to live with one another. So give yourselves to that. And trust that Jesus is sufficient as preeminent Lord to sustain his church. And finally, one final encouragement. Because Jesus is supreme, Jesus is sufficient in all suffering. Because Jesus is supreme, he is sufficient in all suffering. Dear brothers and sisters, we prayed for Al and Anne earlier in our service. I'm sure most of you know, Anne was in a very serious car accident on Thursday evening. When I got to talk to Al on Friday, I was so encouraged. And Elliot got to talk to him as well. And we, we got so encouraged because he was trusting in the sufficiency of his Savior. He knew that the Lord was still holding the universe together. Not, not one thing that had happened was, was outside of what God was, was controlling. I heard from someone who was able to visit Anne yesterday that she too is trusting in the Lord, knowing His sufficiency. And friends, that kind of trust is built upon knowing Jesus is preeminent in all things. It's knowing that He is the one who sustains and holds the whole world together by the very word of His power. The only way this can happen is if Jesus is the preeminent Lord of all. Jesus is far more than just an amazing spiritual symbol of some simple stuff. Jesus is the preeminent Lord of all. And the preeminent Christ is our sufficient Christ. So do not shift from your hope in the preeminent Lord of all. Let's pray. Father, we bow in awe of Christ. Lord of lords, King of kings. He is the preeminent Lord of all, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, the one who created all things, who sustains, who is the very reason for creation, who existed before it began, who now leads his church, who begun it by his very death and resurrection, who was fully God and fully man, who reconciles the world and reconciles us. Father, may we look to him. May our hope be put in nothing else than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name.
We pray in his name. Amen.